from the ESV. I know you have NIV Bibles there in the pews, but the sermon text is in the ESV. So we're looking at the priesthood, how Jesus is the superior priest. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. I'm talking about Jesus there. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. On the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who were formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. The word of the Lord. Well, one of the things my wife and I love to do on Sundays after church is we eat a little bit of lunch and we pull out the Sunday paper and we prop up our feet and we proceed to go through the Sunday paper together. I don't know if anyone else does that. But you know, I grabbed the Sunday paper this morning and one of the great things about the Sunday paper is there are deals to be had everywhere. Great deals. I mean, I was looking through the Sunday paper this morning. I can get a key on this weekend, 0% financing, they'll pay my gas for one year, no cash down, military up to $1,000 extra. That is a great deal. Now granted, there's a host of fine print down here that one must read before they sign on the bottom, uh, dotted line. But there are plenty of other great deals, aren't there? Tempur-Pedic, 0% down, Financing for three years, same-day delivery, free setup, and removal. Why are we not leaving right now to go get a Tempur-Pedic is a little bit beyond me. By the way, my wife hates our Tempur-Pedic. It's a little bit of a source of contention between us. I just thought I'd share that marital discord with you. Here's the truth. The reason we're not running out right now is because we understand that there's no such thing as a sure thing, is there? 
not a lot of guarantees in life. I should have known that when I and some of my friends eyed an investment property down at the beach about five years ago on the fourth block of 22nd Street. Real estate was going up, the location was good, it was a sure thing. Everybody was making money. Well, five years fast forward forward, I actually just closed on this property about a week and a half ago after innumerable numbers of headaches. It wasn't a sure thing at all. It was a bad investment. However, I didn't know it at the time. See, there are no guarantees in the financial realm, are they? There aren't a lot of guarantees in relationships either. Who of you, like me, haven't been a part of a friendship where maybe you and your wife uh, met another couple and you guys clicked and you hit it off and you enjoyed each other's company? Maybe you went on vacation with one another and you became good friends and then something went wrong. It could have been a variety of different things and then all of a sudden you found yourself growing apart and that friendship that you were sure was going to be for the rest of your life was gone. What about in the marriage when you got up in front of the minister and you said, for better or worse, for richer or poor, and sickness and health until death do we part? You know, no one goes into a marriage saying, I wonder if I can screw this thing up. I wonder if I can blow this thing apart. Nobody goes into a marriage like that, and yet, sometimes that occurs. No guarantees in the financial realm. No guarantees in relationship. Well, what about guarantees in a relationship with God? How can we be sure what God thinks of us, what God will think of us in the future? Richer, poor, sickness and health, till death do us part. A good friend of mine who's a Muslim, and we get together once every <coughs> excuse me, other week, and we exercise, and then we talk about God. This guy's a great, great guy, born in another country, and we talk about God, and it's so interesting to hear what he, he, he thinks, and you know, I asked him the question once. I said, based on what you do in the life that you live, is there any certainty you can have in life that when you get to heaven that God will accept you and God will accept your life? And he said, no. I can do the best that I can, but at the end there are no guarantees. And so the question we have to ask is, what about us and the faith that we have? And I'm so glad to look at this passage today because... It teaches us that though there are not many sure things in life, there is one thing that we can be sure of. Through Jesus Christ, we can be 100% sure of the love and salvation of God. There are few things that are guaranteed in life, but if you, are, if you trust in Christ, you are guaranteed to receive the approval and blessing of God. Well, how do I know that? Let's unpack this passage and I'll show you. There are three things that we're going to look at. Number one, we're going to look at the standard for God's blessing. What does it take to be right with God? Number two, we're going to look at the failure of religion to secure that blessing. And then we're finally going to look at number three, the one who guarantees the blessing. There are few guarantees in life, but if you trust in Christ, you are guaranteed to receive the approval and blessing of God. Well, let's look at number one, the standard for God's blessing. What does it take to be right with God, to be uh, I'm not going to say buddy-buddy, but to be in the right presence with God. The, the answer is simple, but it's not easy. The answer is perfection. All you have to be is perfect. Look at verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, 
for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arrive? See, the standard is perfection because God is perfect. Remember Jesus when he turned to some people and he said, therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, isn't that a high standard? I mean, isn't that a little bit high to have? But the truth of the matter is, if God was any less than perfect, He wouldn't be God, nor would we want Him. Listen to these passages that talk about God. 1 John 1, 5. And this is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. Deuteronomy 32, 3. Ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all His ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is He. God is perfect. You know, I tend to think that sometimes we take God and we turn Him into an exalted version of ourselves. Who was it that said that God made man in His image and man turned around and, uh, you know, did the exact same thing back to God? Returned the favor? Many of you have seen the movies, you know, like Bruce Almighty, where God is like this Morgan Freeman, a really wise guy, but... Kind of like, you know, he's a man. What about George Burns? To date myself a little bit. Oh God, remember that? He's, he's, he's a man. He's, sure, he's higher than us, but he's a man. He's more like those Greek gods. Remember them? They're kind of petty and they're capricious and they're jealous. They're more like superhumans than God. But God says in his scripture, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. For as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above yours and my thoughts above yours. God requires perfection because He is perfect. It was David the psalmist that said, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? Only He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. You know, whenever I go out and I meet the man on the street and I ask him the question, how do you know whether you're going to go to heaven or not? They always give me an answer that does something like this. Because I've lived a good life. Because I've done good things. Because I've something, something. I've never heard anyone come back to me and simply said, because God and I are tight, you know. <laughs> because we instinctively understand that we have to bring something in our hand if we want to come to God because God is here and we are here. So the problem is that no one is perfect. Got an invitation uh, from Senator Jeffrey Waters to a dinner with uh, Mitt Romney. And I was extremely flattered, you know? Jeff inviting me to go sit down, have dinner with Mitt. You know, I get to meet Mitt, and he gets to meet me. You know, we have a good time talking, you know? Until I read the rest of the document. You see, it was a fundraising event. And there was going to be a price to meet men. In fact, just to get into the thing was some number that I couldn't even remember. And that was just to get in the outer circle of the room. In fact, to get closer and closer to Mitt, I needed to write a bigger and bigger check. I think at the end, the photo opportunity was like 10 grand or something like that to be so close to Mitt Romney. But wait a second, you know, when you think about that, but isn't that kind of the way it works? It's the way it works in the world. It's the way it works with God. God's standard is perfection. There is a cost to come before God. 
we often think about this question, but we need to bring something. If the price of blessing of God is perfection, my question for you is, do you have it? What's on your ticket when you go up to heaven, when it's time to come to the throne room of God, to be seen with Him, for Him to acknowledge your presence? What is on this ticket? Maybe you've crafted a very nice religious resume. You do the right things. You live the right life. You don't live like those sinners out there. But the reality is no matter how many things we add to our religious resume, it's not enough because none are perfect. God doesn't rate the grade on a curve. We need something more. And so we look to religion. This brings me to my second point. The failure of religion to secure the blessing. See, in this passage, we see that God put in a system by which we could approach God. The Levitical priesthood. God not only gave us the law through Moses, how we should live, the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before you. You shall not make an idol and bow down and worship it, for your God is a jealous God. But he also put in a Levitical priesthood, a system of priests who could atone for the sins of the people. They were from the tribe of Aaron, these people who would be mediators, if you would, between God and man. When man would sin, he would bring a sacrifice, which this priest would sacrifice and sort of atone for that sin. But the passage tells us that this system that was put in place immediately by, uh, first by God was not enough. And the first reason was because it was temporary. Look at verse 11. If perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what further need would there have been for another priest in the order of Melchizedek? Now, we spent some time talking about Melchizedek last week, so I can't take time on that. But if you want to learn more about who that is, go to and listen to last week's sermon on RedeemerVV.com. But we see that God has instituted a new priesthood. And in fact, this new priesthood is in an entirely different order than the Levitical priesthood. Now, why is this new order so superior than the old one? And we see in the passage, the reason that it is superior, it is on the basis of superior evidence. Look at verse 15. This one who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirements concerning bodily descent, in other words, your genealogy from Aaron, but by the power of an indestructible life. See, what we want, what we need, is an indestructible life. Jesus is not only a priest, but he is the proof. We understand what it means to be consumed by evil, don't we? Go to the Blockbuster, which no longer exists, or I go to Redbox, pull out a movie, and there's an innumerable number of horror movies that you can buy, all that have the same theme, that if you come up against someone with evil intent, you can be killed by that. But what I want to suggest to you is something that's far more dangerous than evil is holiness. Much more dangerous to be consumed by holiness than evil. You see, when you go into the presence of God who is holy, the evil that consumes us is not His, but our own. It's the evil inside of us that destroys us. And we see that the old priesthood was weak. The old priesthood could not provide indestructibility. Verse 23, there were many in number because they were prevented by death and continuing in office. Verse 19, for this former command is set aside because of its weakness 
and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. Jesus showed his superior priesthood by practicing it on himself first. Well, I'm relieved to see that everybody is alive today. I don't know if anyone was nervous, but the UARS satellite came down last night. Is anybody tracking this thing? The UARS satellite, Upper Atmosphere Research Satellite, which was put uh, by NASA up in space in 1991, was coming down yesterday. It's a six and a half ton satellite that they put up to study the atmosphere. And the prognosticators thought that there were gonna be about 26 pieces that would make it through the atmosphere, some weighing as much as 300 pounds. The only problem is they don't know where the thing was gonna land. See, when they put up satellites back then, they didn't equip them with self-destruct. They just figured they were gonna sort of float around forever and ever and ever. And so they couldn't track the telemetry of where this thing was gonna come down. In fact, they guessed the odds are, the odds were about one in several trillion that you were gonna be hit by some falling space debris. Well, needless to say, we were not that uh, several trillion that got hit. In fact, it landed in somewhere probably in the Pacific Ocean. But the point I want to make is after 20 years of this thing functioning, it became progressively weaker and weaker and useless until it finally fell out. See, this satellite didn't perfect the weather. All it did was study it. It didn't change the fact that there are tornadoes and hurricanes. Those continue on today. See, the Levitical priesthood was weak and useless because it didn't make us perfect. The issue in our lives is perfection. And no religious system, Levitical or otherwise, can make that happen. But I think that in our congregation, in our Christian world, there are some of us that are still relying on a system that's fallen out of the sky. Maybe you are. You know, you, you pray and you spend your time praying to God and you do the appropriate sacrifices. Sacrifice your time. You come to church. You sacrifice your service. You give. You sacrifice your money. You put it in the offering plate. You even sacrifice your fun. You don't wear those clothes. You don't watch those movies. You don't go to those bars. All in your effort to build enough where you and the sacrificial system can somehow attain to perfection. But much like my Muslim friend, how do you know that it's enough? The answer is it isn't. The Levitical system tells us it's not enough because it's weak and useless. There are no guarantees. And so we must not rely on religion. Isn't that strange coming from a minister? Must not rely on religion, on rules and regulations, on grading on a curve, on being better than the next guy. Because if you do, it's not enough to get the perfection that we need. Well, if we talked about the fact that no one's perfect, that the Levitical system, the religious system doesn't give us perfection, then I want to look at the one who guarantees the blessing. See, God dismantled the old sacrificial system and he put in a new one. He demonstrated his, his choice, Jesus Christ, and he verified it by raising him from the dead and swearing on oath, you are a priest forever. Look at Hebrews 7.24. 
He holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. See, Jesus is the priest, but he's also the man who leads the way. See, verse 26 and 28 tells us who this one Jesus is like. He's holy. He's innocent. He's unstained. And because of who he is, look at the last verse. He has been made perfect forever. See, Jesus became the priest because he's the only one who never needed a priest. He's the picture of the perfect man. The picture of the future of all who trusted him. And as such, he has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, many of us are familiar with this term, guarantor. It's a big difference. Guarantor is someone that basically guarantees that which an agreement someone else has made. Or they guarantee it themselves. Now, there's a big difference between a mediator and a guarantor, right? Mediator stands between two parties. If there's a problem, the mediator tries to work it out to bring consensus between the two. But the guarantor is the one who steps in when things can't be worked out. He's the one that says, I am going to make up the shortfall in this relationship. I remember I used to run a car wash company, and we were going to build a, a car wash. And it was well over a million dollars that we needed to make this thing happen. And so we sat down with the bank, and we brought our business plan, and we brought all the information to show our track record and all the things that this thing was going to do if we were able to put it in place and how much money we were going to make for the bank. And the bank was nodding their head and smiling. And at the end of the day, the bank only wanted to know one thing. Who was going to personally guarantee the loan if things went south? See, they wanted to look at our balance sheets. They wanted to look in case there was a shortfall that we would be able to make up the difference so that the bank would be protected. They wanted a guarantor. You see, Jesus is the guarantor. He's more than just the mediator. And who is it that Jesus is guaranteeing? He's guaranteeing you and me. And he's guaranteeing what God has promised. And who, what is he guaranteeing it with? He's guaranteeing it with himself. When will he step in if the agreement goes south? He already has. He has become for us the eternal priest, the guarantor. Because the loan was already called. The gap, the sinfulness of man was already made evident. See, in order to guarantee our lives, Jesus Christ had to lose his. In order to guarantee our perfection, God had to provide his. I was in Monarch Bank on Friday with my wife doing opening a line of credit for uh, our house for some things I want to do. And sitting on the desk was a little plaque and it said FDIC. Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Deposits insured up to $100,000. Now what does this mean? It means that any deposit in an American bank, whether it's a money market fund, whether it's, where are my notes? Checking account, savings account, CDs, is covered by the full faith and credit of the United States. 
Basically, the U.S. government is guaranteeing that if a bank closes, they will they will uh, insure or guarantee that uh, checking account or whatever up to one hundred thousand dollars. See, the FDIC has a ton of credibility with uh, with savers because not one single saver has ever lost money in an FDIC insured account since 1933. In fact, it's this high level of safety, one reason why so many conservative investors still choose to invest because of the low interest rates. It's because of that guarantee. People have full confidence in the full faith and credit of the most powerful nation in the world. They know their money is safe in case of bank failure. See, if I ask my Muslim friend, do you know that your salvation is guaranteed? His answer is, I'm not sure. See, the scales of our life, how can we be sure that they will fall in our favor? There's only one answer for that, my friends, and it's Jesus Christ. God has sworn it. You are a priest forever. If you go and you visit all the major religious systems of the world, you will see many that claim to be mediator. You will see none that claim to be guarantor, except for Jesus Christ. And he is the one who has demonstrated it. He has shown his balance sheet by dying on the cross and rising again, proving that he has an indestructible life, that he has been made perfect forever. <coughs> so I finish with these thoughts, so what? What I want you to do based on this information is this, to put your confidence on the full faith and credit of Jesus Christ. See, many of us claim faith in Christ, but the reality is our relationship with God is characterized by fear and uncertainty. You're not sure that He loves you. You're not even sure that He likes you. If you blow it, if you make a mistake, if you get out of line, the line of credit is rescinded. But Jesus Christ is the guarantor. And so I want you to put all of your weight onto Christ. All of your weight on what He's done and what He intends to do to present you unblemished in the sight of God because of His work. Because if you do, if you put your faith in the full faith and credit of Jesus Christ, you will live in freedom. You will live in confidence. You will live in joy. And you will live in hope. If you're not a Christian and you're hearing this message, my question for you is simply this. What are you counting on? Where will your perfection come from? Because sooner or later, our account is due. We all have a date before the one who made us. Well, there are a few things that you can count on in life. Health may fail you. Your paycheck may not show up. Your friends may fail you. But we have a sure Savior, Jesus Christ. He has personally guaranteed your life before God. And that is a promise He will keep to the end. Let's pray. Lord.